Welcome to the Rap Race to Buy podcast, where we discuss money, mindset, real estate investing, and ways to achieve financial independence. Whether you are a rookie or a veteran needing new ideas for investing or creating side hustles, you're in the right place. Here to challenge you to think out of the box, your hosts, Felipe Mejia and Diego Corzo. Diego, what's up, dude? We have Ali on today. She's went from the military. She's got multifamily. She wants to do some STR. She wants to buy a house in Hawaii. I think she's got a great plan and strategy, and she's positively using her VA loan to help her fund some of these deals. So it's a really cool story. Yeah, I also like how she was able to, without wanting to, get started with her first rental when she bought a condo with a VA loan and they got deployed. So um, it's... It's an amazing story, and I can't wait for everybody to learn, especially how they're how she's dealing with the contractors too in her last duplex. So it, it's definitely a great call. Yeah, absolutely. She drops a lot of bombs, so make sure you wait till the end. Um, it's it, it's a good one. So let's get started. But first, let's hear from our sponsor for today. Hey guys, don't forget that over at the Rat Race to Fi, we have a micro tribe. So if you're interested in short term rental DIY. If you want to learn about wholesaling or uh, even realtor accountability or house hacking, there is a micro tribe for you. For $50 a month, you're going to get four live Zoom calls with leaders within the Rat Race to Fi community who are going to show you how to do what they're doing actively. Don't spend thousands of dollars trying to figure out if this is for you. Come spend 50 bucks for a month and find out if this is something that you truly would want to do. Let's get started. Allie, welcome to the Rat Race to Fi podcast. I'm super excited that you're here. I know Diego is as well. How are you doing today? Excellent. I woke up today. Life is good. That's right. <laughs> How are you guys? Life is good. I Everyone like needs like to that. have that mentality. I woke up today. Life is good. Diego, dude, how's Austin? Austin, dude, no more cold. So nice. I'm I'm happy. I went skydiving over the weekend. So that what? was freaking awesome. An epic experience. And um, yeah, really like that adrenaline rush. Dude, my wife has done that. And I always used to say like, babe, that's the white side of you because she's half Mexican, half American. I'm like, babe, that's totally it. But now that Diego done it, that means I got to go out there and do it. Ali, have you ever skydived? I know, not yet, but that is on the bucket list. Really? Yes. Oh my gosh, that's that's crazy. Ali, at the Rat Race to Fight podcast, one of the things that we like to do is get to know the investor um, as a person as well because everyone likes to talk about doors, numbers, and we're going to get to that. But I like to humanize this aspect a little bit by digging into your past. So can you tell us how you were or who you were in high school and college or the military? I think you're definitely military, so we'll go into that. But tell us a little bit more about um, your background. Let's humanize you, let's make you a regular person so that everyone that's listening is like, oh, I can get attached to that. What were you like in high school? Yeah, absolutely. So in high school, I was the rebellious teenager. Luckily, I, didn't, I never got into too much trouble. I was able to join the military and become a federal agent. but. Definitely rebellious for sure. I grew up in White Plains, New York. Uh, that's in Westchester County. So it's just north of the Bronx. It's not considered northern New York, unlike what everyone from the Bronx says. Um, so grew up, lived there for 18 years. Great family, you know, both parents around and healthy. A younger sister, two and a half years younger, super close, best friend. Um, and I grew up with my parents are first generation immigrants. So my dad, well, my dad, my dad was born, born in Puerto Rico, but moved to New York when he was uh, a kid, like two or three. My mom was born and raised in Peru, 
and lived, yup, Peru. Yeah, <laughs> buddy. Moved to the States when she was 22 or 23. And so having that sort of um, background definitely, definitely formed like my sister and I as to who we are today, um, as far as not just being humble, not taking advantage of, of what we were given in life because our parents worked so hard for where we are now. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And especially, uh, I think you're the first Peruvian or half Peruvian that we have on the show. Um, so that's awesome because I'm I'm from Peru. So it's always Diego couldn't f- wait to tell us he was from Peru. I love the, yeah, I love the pride. Buddy. Heck yeah. yeah <laughs> I anyway, love it. Yeah. But it's it's really cool. Like a lot of the people here too that we have on the show or just overall that follow us on Instagram, on our social media, a lot of the people that we're able to impact the most has been the first generation immigrants, the DACA recipients, people that have come from a little bit of more challenges, right? Uh, But I feel like at the end of the day, that's what helps us uh, take full advantage of the opportunity of the American dream. So I can't wait to hear more more of your story on that. Yes, absolutely. Ali, what is what is your vision of the American dream? What would you say is like this is goals? This is the American dream for me. What what a good question. I think I guess it wouldn't necessarily tie into just the American dream, but it's probably just a familial dream of um, each generation progressing the family line. Where no matter where you are, no matter what circumstances you have, as long as you've tried your best and you set your kids up to go far, farther than you did that is the dream that's awesome that is the best i haven't heard that definition in the yeah, past that's a great answer uh and and it's really good so that we don't so that we take advantage right of the sacrifices that the previous generation did for us i feel like that is definitely a great definition diego what did oh, i was gonna say diego what did uh was it Charasteca? what did they say uh, we didn't come this far or something to yeah, only you... go this far yeah yeah we like haven't parents... come this far to only go this far yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was a great saying. Um, I don't remember if it was in a podcast or something, but basically it went something like our parents didn't come this far for us to only come this far. And you know, what's interesting, Ali and Diego, is that like a lot of people don't talk about the pressure that immigrant children have to be successful. Like we have a little bit more of a pressure than I think most people because our parents did sacrifice so much. Like we almost have a responsibility from the day that we're born to like, be successful under the eyes of our parents. So that's why they're like, go to college, do this, like, isun sacrificio. And they really did. Like, they gave up their lives so that we could have a better lives. Yeah, absolutely. And and it always reminds me of this quote. I'm going to butcher it, but along the lines of like where it takes three generations to lose everything that like your family worked for. Like, the first generation will like earn it, the other one will use it, the other one will spend it, some, something like that. And that's like one of my biggest fears because I'm in that middle generation, I guess, where um, I'm not a first generation immigrant, but I was born to immigrant parents. So I see, I directly have seen them work like backbreaking work, you know, just like blue collar jobs. And meanwhile, me and my sister were now professionals. So we're going to have kids when we're professionals in, in the U S you know, we have real estate. Um, our kids will never see what we saw as kids growing up. So they're going to think, Oh, we, you know, we have it, we have it made. So it's, I feel like it's the second generation's responsibility to keep ourselves humble, you know, like teach our kids like good values. And I say kids as if I even have any, but like, that's already like what I'm thinking about, you know, like, I'm like, 
a planner. So that's, that's one of my biggest fears is, is, is not having a kid until I'm completely financially independent, just because that's what I saw from my parents and just growing that family line. Yeah, there was a, there was a great quote that I heard on, uh, I think it was Joe Rogan. He, somebody said this, but he just reiterates that hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men and weak men create hard times. And I was like, wow, that's, that's tough. Yeah. And that's, yeah, pretty much the same thing. Like a three, the three generation cycle. Yeah. 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 It's powerful. Ali. Okay. So after high school, um, what did you do after that? Did you just start buying real estate? Did you start finding it or, you know, what was next in your timeline? It took a, it took a very long time for me to get into real estate, despite the fact that my parents are in real estate. Um, My dad was more so in real estate. Um, My mom did like a couple of odd jobs and mainly took care of us. Um, So she like, you know, cleaned houses and did like hard breaking work and worked as a, as a school crossing guard growing up for the benefits, for the health benefits, for the family. Right. And my, my dad, um, you know, dropped out of college, uh, but just went into real estate and, and had rental income. So he was more finances. She was more benefits. So growing, when I was growing up every single night, when I was a kid, like five, six, seven, eight years old, when we were being like tucked into bed, my parents, my dad especially would say, good night. I love you. You're going to college. And then you close the door. That's it. Like that was every <laughs> single night. Like college was not a choice. College, yeah. like we were going to college. That was it. Um, because they didn't, you know, like my mom went to college in Peru, but like didn't really transfer over to the States. So, um, and my dad just, you know, dropped out, <laughs> but still made it work. So, so I knew that I was going to college. So at at the age of 18, after high school, I went to college. I went to Elon University in North Carolina, in the middle of the state, small private school, hardly anyone's heard of it. No affiliation to Elon Musk. And (laughs) I, everyone's like, well, we want, no, no, that would have been cool. Um, So, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew I needed to go to college and I knew that my parents were going to be paying for it. Um, I went to college in 2008 and my parents, our money came from real estate. So it was a tough time. And I know that my parents would never tell me that, but I could tell, you know? Um, so I went to college and I thought, I don't even know what I want to be studying, but I know that like my parents worked so hard to get me here to cash flow our way through college, no student loans. I need to make the best out of it. So as a, as a thank you to my parents, I signed the dotted line and joined ROTC to become a commissioned officer in the Air Force. Um, I told them after I signed the dotted line, they said, what the f***? Because <laughs> especially being from New York, nobody joins the military. Like upstate New York, sure, you know, that's like cow country. But downstate in 2012, like, oh, you want to go die in Afghanistan? That was the just the mentality, you know? Yeah. Um, but I did that as a, as a thank you for my parents because it just out of the amount of years that I saw of just growing up and them working so hard to progress. So I went to college and then therefore my parents didn't have to pay as much. Um, the government paid for it with, you know, four years of, of a payback for them. Got it. Then I did the four years plus an extra six. I'm on year 10 right now and I will be separating this year. Okay. So while, while you were in college, what did you study? What was your major? 
I bounced around and I ended up sticking with a major that I loved and that I thought was easy, not necessarily transferring to what I can get paid for after psychology. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Uh, I mean, luckily it did transfer over because I like psychology and talking to people, knowing people, understanding them, it, it transfers in, into all facets of life, like real estate. I mean, literally a, a lot of shit. So I'm glad that I did that. Um, and once I joined the air force and had my own salary, you know, I started, um, making an income and working. I, stuck with my parents' values of living way, you know, beneath our means. I saved 50% of my income almost every single year that I've been in. And then I, and then I found real estate. I purchased my first property, a condo in Colorado Springs in 2016. So this is four years after I had been in the military already at three and um, using the VA loan, 0% down, no PMI. And then I got deployment orders. So even though the VA loan, you know, you're supposed to own or occupy, I was deploying and there's no going around that. So went to Afghanistan and rented out the VA loan property and never ended up moving back in because by the time I came back, there was a tenant in there, year long lease, you know? So then plus they usually just move you after you come back from deployment anyway. Um, So that was my first step into real estate specifically, but without intention of it being a rental, it was just had the pressure from my parents. Like, Hey, why don't you buy something? Why don't you buy something? And I was like, hey, cool. Bought something, deployed, never even moved in. But then that's when I realized rental income. Okay. I, even though I'd been, you know, surrounded by it my entire life, I never considered doing it. To me, it sounded boring when I was growing up. So Ali, how many rentals did your parents have or do they have now as you were growing up? Uh, yeah. Okay. So that's a really good question. They, they're in commercial. So they own like a bodega, they own a laundromat, they own a couple of rent, like a fourplex enough you know um, yeah, i like that answer enough they own enough, enough. felipe <laughs> yeah enough. En- enough to where ali was like i don't want to do this <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and it's just like growing up and with like financially ind- independent parents that like worked because they wanted to was super super powerful um but just and that's almost that third generation that i'm talking about where i almost had that mentality like oh my parents have it i don't need to learn about it you know why yeah. bother getting into it mm-hmm. um but then, yeah, I working and I was like, I want some passive income. <laughs> so, sure. so that being said, um, there's two things that I wrote down here. One is like people always tend to say, oh, well, I couldn't do that because that's what you did or you got lucky or you did this. But it sounds like you took some values from your parents along the way with you. The first one that I wrote down was you lived below your means even before you had to. You were living off of 50 percent of your income, you said. Um, before you, before you even had to, you were living, you know, uh, pretty well, you had your salary. Um, you ended up buying your first, you were renting that out. And then also the next thing is you used your surroundings to your advantage. Diego always calls it your unfair advantage, right? You're using your VA loan to purchase property. Like you said, no money down. And now someone could be like, oh, well she had a VA loan. So, you know, I I could never do that. Well, look at what you do have in your surroundings. I always tell the story of when I first started in real estate, um, all I had around me was construction workers. And it's funny because because I, I, how dumb was I to think, I, I would literally tell myself, man, I can't get started in real estate. All I have is plumbers, electricians, contractors, subcontractors, flooring guys, tile guys. I can never do real estate. And I'm like, now I'm like, what an idiot. Like I literally had what people desired to know. 
And it's like, use what you have around you to your advantage, whether it's a VA loan or learning to live below your means, you know, use your unfair advantage and, and, and you can succeed. So I think that's awesome. Ali, can you give us a little bit of the numbers of that first property? Um, what what you bought it for, what it what it rented for, uh, cash flow, maybe any cool stories about it. And then we're going to dig into one deal that you want to uh, after that. Yeah. yeah and, and also too, uh, for the audience here, from my understanding, and I don't know if if that's how you had it with your loan, but a VA loan is zero money down, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. It's, it's well, okay, zero down payment. There mm -hmm. are closing yeah. costs. And, exactly. and yeah, no, no uh, PMI. You can use the VA loan more than once. You can use it seven, eight times. It all matters on your entitlement and how much you have left over. Um, so 2022, it's like 647,000, some, something like that. Wow. If you've never used it before. So, you know, at my first station was Oklahoma. My second one was Colorado Springs. So that's where I purchased my first one. It was $158,000, two bed, two bath condo, pretty close to the Air Force Base, nice like central location of town. Um, then I got my deployment orders and I went to Afghanistan, uh, like on the fly, like as I'm out the door, I'm hiring like shotgun, just a, the, a Google property manager, just found the first one, you know, didn't, I called a couple, but um, asked very basic questions. I didn't even know what the good, the correct answers were supposed to be. Um, so I lucked out. It rented for um, a th my very first tenant. I would say rented for eleven or twelve hundred, and um, and it was a little bit frustrating once I realized, like once I found bigger pockets, I was doing calculations. I was like, man, it doesn't meet the one percent rule. But at the end of the day, it appreciated like crazy in Colorado. Oh my goodness. So right now it's worth $320,000. Um, so cool. yeah, doubled. And, and since then I've had different tenants. Um, I've kept the same property manager has been doing a pretty good job, but um, there was like a story of right where um, the whole like emotional support animal got into play where the HOA was trying to find me for my tenant having an animal and just letting it poop all over the place. Um, so there was, there were some learning experiences with that. But um, I've had the tenant, I've only had three tenants in there. The third one has been there for the last couple of years and doesn't plan on moving out. And it's, um, you know, the rent increases every year, just a, just a bit to, to keep up with the market. And that, I mean, that's, I will hold on to that property probably forever and just refi out whenever I have enough to purchase the next property. I always tell people that like, I think a sweet spot in rent, like everyone should try to reach 12 rental properties, if anything. Just try to reach that 12 and you get to give yourself a bonus every single month uh, after you get that 12 because every year you're going to raise the rent on them. So if you have 12, hypothetically, you could raise the rent January for one, February for the next, and you give yourself a nice little bonus. I think everyone should strive for at least 12 doors to give themselves that that little uh, that little that little bonus. Um, so, yeah, I love that that first one in that opportunity alley. So what happens now? Get, Talk to us about one of your opportunities, one of your deals, um, and let's kind of dig into the to the numbers. Do you have one in mind that you would like to talk about? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. I was it my second to last most recent purchase here in Tucson. It's my only duplex. Between my wife and I, we have seven units, six properties, and this was a duplex that I purchased on the MLS uh, before I became a realtor. 
and so I used a, an agent here in Tucson and, um, and I, this, what year was this? 2020. Yeah. 2020. Um, I purchased it for 180,000 and the, the main reason why I really liked it was because both sides, the tenants were paying like half of what they should have been paying half of what market rent is the, the previous owner had owned it for a couple of years and not one city, like one time he increased rent and that was it. Um, so both sides, because both sides have been living there for quite some time, rehab was around the corner. Um, so I, I purchased that property and, uh, when the appraisal came back, it came back at like a thousand or $2,000 above the purchase price. And I was like ecstatic. Cause it was my first time buying something under market, you know, like I was like, Oh, and I have like $2,000 of equity in there. I was like, so I was thrilled. Um, but and, but it was, you know, on the MLS and in Tucson, Arizona, where prices, the price point, I'm mean, just like everywhere in the country, it's, it's gone crazy to find something that I didn't have any competitors with at, that I knew of. Um, and to find something under value was, was super cool. So one side moved out and I decided to rehab that side. My original intent was to have side A move into unit B, which was just rehab. So I could rehab unit A, um, he wanted to stay in, in unit A and pay, you know, not as much as what a, a pretty property would go for, which is completely fine because they are amazing tenants. Um, and I did, when it came to the rehab, it was my very first rehab and only rehab so far and being female, being lesbian, being not, I, you know, like whatever limiting factors, you know, can, you can think of, I was like, I felt a little bit uncomfortable, but I, you know, so I had like a bunch of contractors come through and give me quotes and it was very hard. I found to get an apples to apples comparison. Um, every contractor wanted to do their own thing. And when I found somebody really trying to just like do their own thing on my property, that was, that was it. I also pretended to not know Spanish. So I literally can hear people like just creating their own, you know, just adding shit on and then. Um, so I found that to be a benefit too. And I ended up using a contractor that came recommended from a lender since I'm a realtor. That's the, the lender that I prefer. And, and, uh, we did everything like not by the book. It was a handshake deal. We never signed anything. I barely looked into his background. I never went to one of his properties to see what his work was like. And it was like everything that could have gone wrong. Like it would have, but it, it worked. And cause the lender was like, Hey, this is who I use. And he knows that I send him all of my clients and he straight up said that, like, I know that if, if this uh, contractor d does you dirty, you won't be sending me any more clients. So he had, he trusted this guy, you know? Um, and it worked out super well, two bed, one bath. It was the rehab on that, that one half. I wanted to stick to a budget of 12,000. It ended up being 17,000, but uh, we did almost everything except for the floors because the floors are in pretty good shape. So, uh, went over budget because that's, that's rehab for you, but, uh, increased the rents from 700 to a thousand. And okay. And there is a few things, a few of the questions that I have there. So you bought that one, um, putting 20% down or with an FHA loan? Cause you mentioned you wanted to live in one side. Right. No, I, that one was just a conventional loan. I did want to move into it. My wife said no. So happy wife, happy life. I was like, okay, well then we'll put 
25% down because it was a multifamily. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so I think that's a 3.75% interest rate on that one. Mm -hmm. Okay. And on the contractor side, you mentioned a, a few things there, but other than the referral that you got, which sometimes is the best way to find contractors as well. How, what did you do to find all the other ones? Did you go to Home Depot, look online? What did you do? Yeah. So I went to Home Depot. I also went to, um, there are like expos or fairs that like mm -hmm. at least Tucson, I'm sure other cities do it too, that they put on, um, where it's just, you know, every, every contractor, you have like a flooring guy, you have a ceiling guy, you have a roof, you have, you have everything glass. Um, so I went there, got a couple of phone numbers, names, contacts, um, and the rest was Google. And I looked up all the reviews and saw what they were like. And, and I had everyone come over to, to do the best of an apples to apples comparison that I could. Got it. What was the challenge that you saw on the apples to apples comparison? Um, it, so because I had got like a bunch of different contractors, some of them did more so luxury, some of them didn't. So it was, so people were like, well, how about we do, you know, this type of countertop or this type of floor? Or how about we do this for no, for no reason? Like, that's not what I want to do. This is what I want to do. Like I literally gave you a list, like quote me for this. Mm -hmm. And so once I started realizing, I mean, it's pretty easy as soon as, as soon as you realize you might not be able to work well with them or they're not going to listen to you. That's it next, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's what I did. <laughs> okay. That's, okay. That's really good. Cause I don't, I don't want to jump over that. That contractor part is really crucial. One, you said you didn't like dig too much into the contract you ended up using, but it's great because it came from a reliable source. And I think that Allie, what it did was it saved you a lot of time and headaches by going through that, uh, like a reliable source for a contract. And a lot of people don't do that. They go straight to trying to find a contractor versus using their unfair advantage to find a good contractor. Right? So kudos there. And then the second thing is like, in my opinion, you're a hundred percent, right? It sounds like you're doing a lot of things, right? Like when you have a contractor and you're doing interviews or you're trying to figure out like which one's good or which one's this, like one of the key things is communication. Is he like listening to understand your needs and wants for the property? Or is he listening just to see what kind of budget you have and how much he can spend of it? Um, a lot of times I know contractors will do that. They'll be like, okay, well, what is her budget? And let me see if I can maximize that plus my 30% or whatever. So it's great that you're saying that advice and people need to listen to that where like, make sure that your contractor is listening to you, like understanding your wants and needs and your vision for the project versus just, I wonder how much I can get out of this situation. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then payment was another thing, right? So, I mean, the only background I did was literally look up his license, his contractor number. And I saw that it was active and I said, okay, that's good for me. So, um, but the right. other thing I was then payment is a whole nother section of it, right? Where he could have brought, originally he wanted something like, not 50%, but close to 50, maybe like 40% up front um, or, or by like the end of the first week to pay his guys. And I told him I was uncomfortable with that. Um, I wanted even like evenly distributed, uh, you know, weekly payments. And uh, well, originally what I wanted was the, the heftiest payment at the very, very end. But uh, so we, we negotiated and he, he understood, he was like, Hey, I know that this is your very first rehab. So I want, I want to, I want to work with you because I know that you're a realtor and an investor and I want business from you in the future. And that meant a lot. And since then I've given him a, a lot of business. Um, but yeah, so we ended up, uh, it would have, the whole rehab would have gone faster had I paid a heftier uh, amount in upfront for him to pay his guys. 
but he ended up doing the work pretty much almost by himself because I was slow rolling it where I paid like 20% the first, like every Saturday I paid him like 20%. And then it was 25, something like that, 28, something like that up until the very end. So the very first payment was the lowest yeah. and the rest were even. That's interesting. I always tell people like that's a conversation that people don't like to have. Um, and contractors are savvy. They're like, oh, I, you know, if they can, they're going to get the full budget up front or 60, 70%. And I always tell people like, in my opinion, the best way to do it is just pay in thirds. If you just don't have an idea of how you're going to pay. I know some people that don't pay anything until the very end. Like those are, those are great situations as well. But, um, payment schedule is very important. What would you, Alex, suggest to someone that's going to start doing rehabs to have a, and have a contractor? What do you think a good payment structure is for those that are listening? For me, that worked perfectly. Something like that. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's, you have to pay some, you, it's very, very hard to find a contractor where you can only pay them at the end. That's, you have to have a relationship with them already. Um, that, so if you get that, that's amazing. Great. Just do your background on them. But, um, right. but I would say you have to meet in the middle. You know, I, I was uncomfortable with even doing the, you know, 20% up front or not up front, but at, at the end of the first week, but we met in the middle and it's, it's all about like, how do you, how do you have those conversations and negotiate with them and then come to a happy conclusion at the end where it benefits them it benefits you. Um, for me that worked otherwise, like just even payments every week or however long it's going to take, um, that I feel like that's, that's something that I think would not, not a lot of people do because a lot of contractors ask for 30%, 40%, 50% upfront um don't do that unless you know them mm -hmm. and and then um so it cost you seventeen thousand um to rehab that one did have you rehab the other side as well or not yet he is happy go lucky and he is i mean i don't want to bother him he is probably the best tenant i've ever had uh when i when i purchased the property i had i hired a property manager and the property manager never sent the welcome package hey this is how you pay rent um it somehow got lost in the mail and I get a phone call when on like Christmas day from this guy that says, Hey, are you Allie? I was like, who's this? And he was like, I'm your new tenant. And I really want to pay rent before it goes late. Like no one's spoken to me about anything. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that is the initiative that I want to see. You know, like mm -hmm. after that, love them. Um, so so I, I'm letting him be, you know, he's, he's raising the rents like a little bit, you know, uh, it's actually still under market, but because they are so good, I don't care. I, 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 I would want to keep them forever. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I've, I've talked about that before too, where like, I would rather have a 80, 90% under market. Like if a tenant's paying 90, let's say they're paying just 10% under market or 15%, but they're on time. There's not a lot of maintenance requests. They are hounding me to pay the rent, right? Paying on time, making it smooth. Like I'm, I'm definitely not going to kick them out or, or even I might not even raise their rent year to year. Um, it, it, as long as that relationship stays the same and the rent is, you know, continuing to come in. Um, I think, uh, oh God, I can't remember the guy's name who said it, but heads in beds is better than like an empty house, right? Like it, even if you're going to try to raise the rent a little, like what are you going to make an extra 50, hundred bucks, but you gotta, you're going to have to lose a month rehab, maybe you find a good tenant, you know, you're going to go through two or three before you find another great tenant. Um, so yeah, once you find those solid tenants, man, they can pay your house over three, four times by the end of, you know, however long they define to stay. Oh yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. So then now, um, what um, what is the cash flow that you're making from from the property now that you rehabbed and all of that stuff? Yeah. So I make seventeen hundred in uh, rent, and my mortgage is eight hundred and ninety three. So of course that's just that's just principal, interest, and taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I'm making pretty good cash flow. <laughs> um, so that's kind of like what should I sell the property now and ten thirty one it into my next, uh, venture I know, but it's an older home, you know, like it will, at some point it will need some, some hefty money to go into it. Um, Mm -hmm. like luckily I got it with the plumbing good, but that's, that's kind of the choice that every investor, you know, needs to make at some point, do I want to hold on to it and just milk this bad boy or just carried on to something else. So I think I might end up selling it, um, and and purchasing another single family short-term rentals because those are where it's at right now (laughs) cool cool what i did once is i bought a quad plus in jacksonville and i knew that it needed capital expenses in the near future uh but i maximized it so i bought it for a hundred i sold it for 195 without doing much of the capital expenses and then i turned 31 that quad plex into a brand new quad plex and then that gave me simplicity of mind, which is what I wanted. I didn't want to deal with future expenses because that will take more of my time. Um, but that's that's one strategy, right? But now if you're able to take a property that may that you may need to spend a lot more time in rehab or updating and all this other stuff to just do a 1031 into an Airbnb that can get you even more cash flow, then that's an amazing idea too. Yeah, yeah. Because very ballpark estimate. I make about, you know, after all expenses, PITI, I'm paying myself for property management since I fired my property manager, that's another story. Um, and they pay all of their utilities because it's subdivided with the water. Uh, I make about $500 a month cash flow off that duplex. Meanwhile, uh, another single family here in Tucson, the one that we just moved out of, my wife's property, uh, that, we, that she purchased, VA, owner-occupied, lived in it for three years, moved out pool in the backyard. That's an Airbnb. We make $2,000 a month. So $500 for a duplex versus $2,000 for a single family. Plus it's in a nicer neighborhood. Uh, you know, just like nicer all the way around that I want to go and I want to do more of those. Yeah. Especially if you use the equity that you made from that one property to buy you the next one, right? So that you have a little, as little out of your own pocket. Right. There was a, there was a podcast that I heard where a gentleman said the same thing. It was like, you know, you start, most investors are going to start in, in C minus neighborhoods and make their way up. And that B plus A minus is like a really nice cash flow area. Kind of like what you're saying that the house of the pool on Airbnb, like take the equity out of one of your lower producing cash flow properties, uh, where it's just like dead equity and use that leverage towards another Airbnb, like the one you're saying, I, that's a perfect strategy. And I think a lot of investors uh, do that as they start to scale, they start getting those properties that they know are going to have CapEx soon. And they're putting them into properties. Like Diego said, he flipped one older quadplex into a, a newer one. That's going to make him more money. I think it's a great strategy. I have Airbnbs as well. It absolutely does do well. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's awesome. So go ahead, Diego. Um, so just so that I understand, uh, well, cause you bought your first property in 2016, you said, right in 2016. Uh, and now you guys, now you guys have six properties, um, really quick. What was like, what did you use to be able to buy those properties? Did you 
Did you get VA loans again and again? Did you get 20% down that stuff? Yeah, super good question. So my wife, my wife is active duty military. I'm also active duty military together between us. We have four VA loans out right now. That's um, awesome. Yeah. So there's, there's four properties right there. The other two, I did 20% down on a long distance single family from when I was living here in Tucson in Oklahoma city. And the other one was at duplex 25% down. And that all, that all came from just saving 50% and investing 50% of my income. So especially when you go like as a military member, when you go overseas, you deploy, you get a lot of extra money at my first deployment. I didn't know what to do with all that money. I didn't know the stock market. I wasn't going to take, I wasn't going to invest in anything I didn't know and didn't fully understand. So at that time I was making three times the amount of the, the mortgage payment on like, I, I called the, the lender, the mortgage company. And I was like, Hey, I want to make an extra payment, but have it apply on principle. How do I do it? I don't even know what I'm doing. So she helped me increase my payments to over three times. And she was like, Oh my gosh, you're going to take this 30 year loan and make, you're going to pay it off in 11 years. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's pretty cool. But I better not be in Afghanistan for 11 more years. <laughs> So um, it, it was just using all of that money that I saved. I eventually learned a little bit about the stock market, index funds. So I was pushing everything in index funds. That helped acquire the other two properties that what that were not owner occupied. Okay, cool, cool. And what is what ha- what's next for you this this year in twenty twenty two? Yeah. <laughs> so originally it was going to be buying an apartment building, and because it's all about scale, you know. Um. Happy wife, happy life. She wants another uh, single family short-term rental. And I cannot say no to that. I mean, I got her and I slowly got her in the game. She really didn't have like Brit is her name. Brit didn't really have a lot of real estate background growing up. Um, but we used her property. It's her property with the pool in the backyard. So now whenever she hears the Airbnb ding on her phone, she's like money. Like she like <laughs> is like, super excited. So she wants another one. I'm like, hell yeah, let's do it. So, um, now that I have her like on board, which took three years, uh, we're, we're actually looking at purchasing a property as a vacation home. So like 10% down type in somewhere that we want a vacation, which is Hawaii. So that is, that is our next venture. So Hawaii single family, short-term rental in a place that, you know, where short-term rental laws aren't as lax as they are here in Tucson. Um, and then after that would be an apartment building. What is, what is that 10% down for those that are listening? What do you mean you can buy a second home for 10% down? Yeah. So don't have personal experience with this. Definitely contact a lender, but a second home or a vacation home, you can typically put 10% down because you will be occupying it some days out of the, out of the year. So it's not a straight investment property where typically you have to put 20% down. Um, you can put a little bit less. So that's, that's more so where, what our, our plan is next. Got it. Got it. And you want to be in Hawaii? Who doesn't? Well, I guess some people don't, but yes, we do. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. That's a great strategy. We actually tell a lot of our members at Rat Race to find that like, look, if you want to start building your, your life, right? What's your lifestyle? If you want to, if you want to have, if you want to visit Hawaii, you want that experience, you want to be there often, buy a rental property there that you can do on Airbnb and then visit it, right? Like don't just spend the money uh, on, on renting at different places, maybe invest there. If that's where you want to be long-term, and then, you know, just rent it out on Airbnb or a long-term rental or, you know, whatever it is that you want to do. Um, I know that traveling nurses is a big thing coming up as well. So I think it's a great strategy to buy a rental property in the area you want to live your life around, vacation, whatever, like Diego, 
goes to Puerto Rico every time it drops under 70 in, in Austin. So I'm like, dude, just buy a rental out there. It's coming. It's coming. That's the goal. <laughs> I don't want to make any political jokes, but I see a little parallel there. <laughs> but no, you're you're completely right. Like if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. And at, yeah. at what point will you feel comfortable enough to buy that house in San Diego, to buy a house in wherever you want to live? Like if you life is too short, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow, which is the reason why I'm leaving the military. You know, it was it took a toll on my mental health and and I'm only halfway through. I would need another 10 years to retire and get $5,000 a month for the rest of my life. But at what cost I, you know, like it's, it's a very hard decision to make when you think all the stars have to align, but you have to take control over your life. Like if, if you spend all, all week, you know, waiting for Friday, you will spend your entire life just waiting for happiness. So it's, it's all about just control and you life by design. Totally mm-hmm. agree with that. What's what's next for Allie? What what are you doing? I know you want to buy a house in Hawaii. What's next for for you and your you and your wife? What what goals do you guys have? Yeah. So she has about five years left before she retires from the military. Oh. I am separating at the end of this year, October 2022. And I will go into full-time real estate sales. And I already pretty much am doing that now. Love it. I'm building my business. I've uh gotten three of like I have three agents on my team already, a full, a full-time assistant and a transaction coordinator. I, I can see where this is going. Um, since I started in October, in August, so past six, seven months, I've had one sale a month. And now this month, you know, March, 2022, I'll have four closings and it's only going to go up. Um, so I'm super excited. I didn't, I never even realized how scalable just the real estate agent, it, uh, you know, that's a, that's a business and you, it can be very lucrative. Um, so I'll be separating from the military and, and doing that full time investing portion will be a house in house in Hawaii, then maybe a house in San Diego or an apartment building somewhere because San Diego is like number two on our list. Mm-hmm. Um, but really it's, it's starting a family. We decided to, at the end of this year to, or maybe next year to start, um, a family and, that scares me so much knowing, you know, how I grew up where parents were just completely financially stable and, and we're there, you know, but, but it's still scary. Um, cause I want like everything aligned before I make a jump. It's just like the type of person that I am, but you have to just make the jump. And that's something that I tell myself every day. So that's, that's us in our future in, in a nutshell, we don't know, we're only going to be in Tucson for the next three, maybe four years, um, uh, before they move Brit again. Don't know where that's going to be, but make the best of it selling houses there. Nice. That's awesome. I like it. That's awesome. And where can people reach out if they have questions? Yeah. Um, the easiest way I would say is Instagram, Allie the agent uh, with underscores in, in between. Um, I would suggest if you have a, a question to Google it before because <laughs> it, it shows a lot about um how much people value other, how much people value other people's time if they've done a, a little bit of background research. Um, so yeah, but I'm other than that, super happy to help. I have a website as well. If you want to book a call with me, garcedrealty.com. That's G A R C E D. But I love helping like the military community, the Latino community, just the immigrant in general. Like I, I love talking real estate and just life. So yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time. We're very excited that we're going to be able to hang out uh, next week too. 
at the uh, Real Estate Wealth Builders event. So I want to talk more about all of the things that you're doing with your agents because I have a team here here in Austin too. So I'm excited for those combos. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Awesome. Ali, thank you so much for your time. We're excited. Thank you. The Rap Race to Buy podcast, where we discuss money, mindset, real estate investing, and ways to achieve financial independence. Whether you are a rookie or a veteran needing new ideas for investing or creating side hustles, you're in the right place.